Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Tinboom, Promise of God, by Mike Evans, with permission of Time Worthy Books, and we are on Chapter 12. Mama was right, of course. I still wrestled with my decision not to marry, and seeing Corey fawning over Carol brought my personal anguish to light in a painful way. I wanted nothing to do with him emotionally, but the notion that Corey was free to pursue a man's company and affection, and I was not, left me feeling very irritable. And as only an older sister could do, I channeled that frustration into a sense of superiority, as if anyone serious about life would have made the same choices I made. It was all very condescending, although I didn't see it at all that way at that time, nor did Corey. Looking back now from my current perspective, I can see that most of my life up until that moment, I was afraid of intimacy in almost all its forms, emotional, intellectual, as well as physical, and perhaps even spiritual. But back then, my understanding was clouded by one simple fact. More often than not, I was correct in my assessment of others. I might have gone overboard in trying to orchestrate the circumstances and events in the lives of family and friends, and I might have communicated my opinion in a less-than-temperate manner, but my perception of the truth about their circumstances were usually right. I was right about Hannah and her desire not to follow through with marriage arranged by her grandparents and ratified by her parents, and I was right about Carol's attitude. I was also right about many aspects of Papa's business, the condition of the ledger, and his on-again, off-again billing practices, just to name a few. But he was reluctant to admit it at first. Then one morning, not long after Mama talked to me on the rooftop about Corey and Carol, a large delivery truck arrived on our street and rumbled to a stop in front of the vacant building directly opposite of us. The building was located next door to the furrier, Benjamin Wall, and had last been occupied by a cobbler shop but it had stood empty for most of the year. With the truck parked out front, the workmen spent most of the morning busily moving back and forth between the empty storefront and the truck as they unloaded boxes and furniture, then everything inside. As the morning passed, I kept an eye on them through our display window while I worked on my desk, but I wondered who might be moving in there. It was clear to me they were taking the furniture at least to the apartment upstairs on the second and third floors. The shop on the first floor wasn't large enough for everything they unloaded, which meant that whoever was moving in was planning to live there, too. I tried not to say anything about it. Papa didn't like it when we paid too much attention to our neighbors. He thought of it as snooping. Nolly and I thought of it as a heightened sense of concern about the interest of others, so I kept my thoughts to myself and did my best to contain my curiosity about what might be happening at the shop across the street. Shortly before lunchtime, the workmen finished emptying the truck. They slammed the door shut, latched them, and drove away. At last, as the truck disappeared up the street, I could restrain myself no longer. Who do you suppose moving into the old cobbler's shop? I asked no one in particular. I'm sure we'll find out soon enough, Papa said casually. Lewis looked over at him. How so? Benjamin Wall. Papa chuckled. He'll find out all about what's going on, and he'll be over to tell us before long. Wall has never been good at keeping a secret. Sure enough, in the middle of the afternoon, Wall came to the shop, beaming with a sense of pride one often gets from knowing something others do not. You saw the truck? he asked, knowing full well we did. 
Yes, Papa replied. They spent most of the morning unloading it. They're opening a shop over there. Wall was bursting to tell someone what he knew, and his words came in rapid fire. Meyer and Gretel can. Came here from Rotterdam. The smile on Wall's face became an irrepressible grin. And you know the other part? Tell us, Papa said. The Wall needed no encouragement. He's a watchmaker, Wall laughed. Just like you. Can you imagine? He slapped his leg. A watchmaker moves his family here from Rotterdam to open a watchmaker's shop, and he puts it right across the street from the best watchmaker in town. Ah, Papa nodded in a mock approval. A colleague. What brought him here to Harlem? Don't know, Wall shrugged. Family, I suppose. He has a cousin who lives a few blocks over. Interesting, Papa nodded once more. The look on Wall's face turned sober. I hear can is good. Where did you hear that? Lenny, the cousin who lives a few blocks away, told me. And his neighbor's brother lives in Rotterdam, too, and knows Ken. Said he's a good watchmaker and a shrewd businessman. Wall's sober expression turned to a look of concern, as if this new shop might pose a threat to Papa's business. Papa seemed not to mind at all. Shrewd, he asked, just to keep the conversation going. That's what he said. Maybe that's why he left Rotterdam, Papa suggested as he leaned back in his chair. Wald looked puzzled. What do you mean? Sometimes shrewd translates into something worse. I'd never seen Papa play someone quite like this, and I enjoyed every word of it. Ah, Wald nodded. I see your point. I don't know, but I'll find out. That's what Papa wanted, more information. And I added, hoping to encourage Wald to say even more, putting your business near another of the same type isn't a bad idea. People are already coming to that neighborhood for your competitor's products anyway. Might as well let him do your advertising for you. Weld had a troubled look. Hmm, I never thought of that. We'd heard a rumor earlier in the year that a new furrier was coming to town and might be locating on our street. With the shop empty next to Wild, I speculated that the new furrier might locate there. But Wald refused to consider the possibility dismissing it as a ridiculous suggestion from someone who knew nothing about business. I hadn't argued with him at the time, but endured his disdain in silence. Now with a new watch shop located opposite ours, his earlier argument evaporated, and I didn't appear so much like a young girl in a man's world. Wald and Papa talked a few minutes more, and then Wald wandered back across the street. As I watched him through the window, Papa came from his desk and stood there gazing across at the newly occupied shop. With a glance over his shoulder in my direction, he asked, You think they really did that? Did what? Open their shop across the street from ours to take away our customers? Yes, I replied, I think they did. Papa stared out the window a moment longer and then returned to his chair behind the desk, picked up his loop, and fitted it across his eye. I suppose we'll find out soon enough. At first, nothing much happened with Kane's new shop. He opened for business about a week after moving in. I noticed a few people stopping to gaze through his display window, but no one seemed to rush in to shop there. Our business, meanwhile, remained unchanged. We sold a few watches each week, but received most of our income from repairs and cleanings. Two weeks later, though, it that all changed when traffic into Cannes' shop increased noticeably. Neither Papa nor Lewis had said anything about it, but I couldn't keep quiet. What do you suppose he's doing in that that attracts so many people to his shop? It's a watch shop. After all, not the meat market or the grocer. 
We have all the work we can handle right now behind our own door, Papa cautioned. Just keep to your own task and let them do theirs. I didn't care for his tone of voice, but it was true. For once, he and Lewis had a backlog of work waiting to be performed. Still, the sight of all those people in our competitor's store, instead of ours, bothered me. You think we ought to go over and see, I asked. I think people are curious about someone new in town, Papa replied without looking up from what she was suggesting. That's all. Just curious. He cut his eyes in my direction. You are, and they are, as well. We haven't sold a new watch all week, I continued, ignoring his last comment. It'll settle down in a few days, but it didn't. I watched through the window as more and more people streamed into Khan's shop, and our own work declined. Papa and Lewis caught up on the cleaning and the repairs, which meant they had time during the day with nothing to do. At first, Papa spent the extra time reading the Bible, but after a few days, he added a mid-morning walk on which I accompanied through the neighborhood. During one of those walks, I asked again about going over to see Khan's shop to find out what he was doing that attracted so many people. You should stick to bookkeeping, Papa replied, repeating his earlier suggestion that I mind my own affairs. Don't make any more of it than it is. God knows we're here. He will send business when we need it. That is enough. After a week or two, repairs and cleaning picked up again. Papa felt vindicated in his view of how to conduct business, but new watch sales remained slow and I was worried. Clock sales dwindled to a little or nothing. Finally, curiosity got the better of me, and I sent Lewis across the street to visit Khan's shop. I think Papa was curious, too, but he didn't object. When Lewis returned, he told us the news. They have a selection of watches at least as large as ours and about the same age, but his are mass-produced. Mass-produced to look just like our homemade watches? Yes, Lewis nodded, but he sells them at prices below ours. For inferior quality, Papa added. Yes, Lewis nodded, but I don't think the customers can tell the difference. They will in a year or two, Papa replied. We could sell ours at cost and point out the better quality, but we could never match his price, Papa argued. We would always be higher. We could show people he's a fraud, Lewis added. No, Papa snapped. I will not attack a man simply to gain a sale. You could try a different supplier, I suggested. We've been using the same supplier since I took over the shop, Papa replied curtly. It would be an insult to them for us to take our business elsewhere. I glanced up at Lewis, so he's deliberately setting his prices below ours. He sends people in here to check our prices, then he sets his prices just a little lower. It didn't take long for word to get around that you could buy watches like the ones we offer for less just by walking across the street from our shop. But they aren't the same watches, Papa observed. There's something we can point out without attacking Can. I didn't wait for Papa to reply, but I looked over at Lewis. Any idea how many cleanings he gets? None, Lewis said flatly. His answer astonished me. European watchmakers were traditionally just that, watchmakers. They made watches. In the days gone by, they acquired the pieces, fitted them into cases, and assembled them from scratch. Many had their own designs for critical parts, and they all had a unique touch for adjusting the settings. That kind of craftsmanship produced an exquisite product, but it is also expensive. Sales of new watches were infrequent, and once purchased, owners were Renaissance to dispose of them, which meant watchmakers spent more of their time repairing and maintaining older watches than they did selling the new ones. Mass production of cheaper watches was changing that practice. 
but no watchmaker in Harlem sold only mass-produced pieces without also engaging in the repair side of the business. None, I asked. I heard someone ask about it, and he said he wasn't equipped for that right now. The next day, Herman Slurring, one of Papa's friends and loyal customers, was in the shop browsing through the display cases. Slurring inherited ownership of a thriving steel mill from his father and had money enough to shop without regard for price. As a result, he had an extensive collection of watches and clocks. When he visited our shop, he insisted on seeing only our best watches, which made waiting on him especially joyful. While I was assisting slurring that day, Wald arrived to pick up a watch he had left for repair. Papa came from his desk to get it for him. I saw your apprentice go into Can's shop, Wald said with a glance in Lewis's direction. You were checking him out? We were curious, I replied, speaking out before Lewis and Papa could answer. I sent him. Wilde had a wild grin. Can brags about sending people over to check your prices and then setting his just a little lower. He does it on purpose. Says you never even notice. He glanced back at Papa and his voice took a serious tone. Can wants all your business, Casper. Others have tried, Papa chuckled, but they're gone and we're still here. And we'll still be here long after Mr. Can is gone too. He's selling an inferior product at a premium price, I added. Papa shot me a disapproving look, but I ignored him and kept talking. His watches look like ours, but they aren't handmade. Wilde's eyes opened wide. He's selling mass-produced watches at a price comparable to your prices for handmade watches? Exactly, I nodded. Hoping no one can tell the difference, Wilde sighed. Are that no one cares, I responded. When Wilde was gone, Papa picked up his tools and looked over at me. Betsy, I thought we weren't going to do that. Do what? Attack Mr. Can. I wasn't attacking him. I was merely pointing out the difference between our product and his. But I don't like it. Papa, most of our customers are our friends. They have a right to know the facts about the products they purchase. We have an obligation to advise them properly. Papa turned his attention back to the watch on his desk. Telling Wall is like announcing it to the world, he muttered. Which is only the reverse of how you use him, I countered. What does that mean? It means you use him to gather information from the neighborhood without having to inquire directly yourself. I'm just doing that in the other direction. While we talked, Herman Slurring looked through the display case by the window. Normally, discussion like this were reserved for times when no one else was around, but Slurring wasn't merely a customer. In spite of their differences in wealth and social standing, he and Papa were the closest of friends. Slurring had dined with us often. Spent many Sunday afternoons in the parlor with Papa discussing theology, the news, and the nature of their respective businesses. He turned to Papa with a smile. I admire your confidence. I'm not worried about Can. I didn't mean that, slurring laughed. I meant your confidence in arguing with Betsy. He looked over at me and gestured with the watch he was holding in his hand. Con's strategy only works if people don't care about the quality. What does that tell you about your customers? Some shop for price, others shop for quality. It's always been that way. Exactly. People who know quality and aren't opposed to paying for it will never leave you for an inferior product, so long as they know it's inferior. And we have a strength he doesn't have. What is that? Right now he doesn't do repair work, so he's not a competitor in the repair business. No, and if he continues to sell a cheap product, will actually gain repair work from repairing the watches he sells. Slurring looked over at Papa with a grin. 
Betsy has a good mind for business. You should be careful. I don't steal her away to work for me. After that, Papa stopped questioning my ideas about how to run the shop and started listening to me. Well, next week will be Chapter 13. Hope you're enjoying this book as as much as I am. Well, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I love you. I'm praying for you. And bye-bye for now.